here this morning. Thank you for those of you that are connecting online. Uh, I believe that you had a variety of choices and you made some good ones already. You got out of bed. Good for you. And you made your way here and I believe it's going to be well worth it because God has a word for you. Understand this, the Bible tells us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but how, how many of you have plans to eat today? I know Dave does. <laughs> and, and yet we plan for that, and too many times we don't plan to feed on the Word of God. Feed on God's faithfulness, the Scripture says. And, and yet you've done that today. Don't lose out on what God has for you specifically. There's a rhema word for you today. That rhema word is what the Bible calls the sword of the spirit. It's a specific word to a specific person. And it could be everybody here because you're, you're dear to God for a specific situation. And what it is, it's what God knows you need before you know you need it to be able to break through and experience the abundant life that God has for you. And so I just want to pray right now, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we are here, but Father, none of us have time to waste. And so we want to be aware of what you're speaking to each one of us individually as well as what you're speaking to us corporately. Because there is a word to us corporately as a body, a local fellowship that we need to hear and heed. But there is also a specific rhema word that you have for each one of us that will bring life and health, that will bring illumination and revelation that will bring liberty and life. And so today, Father, help us to have hearing ears, to hear what the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of grace would say to us today so that we would be prepared and fortified for everything that you know is ahead of us, that we can walk in your victory. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So you said, Lord, let it be. You thought the Beatles wrote that. We need to let God have his way. Because when God has his way, it's a way that brings abundant life. And uh, we, we've been learning about the kingdom of God. We, we kind of segued into this from learning about the fear of God and how important that is. It's not being afraid or terrified by God, but it's honoring God. When we honor God, we respect God, we reverence God, uh, we, we highly esteem God, we value God. And when we do that, we begin to track with God. Things won't take our attention away from God. And so we moved into this where we're learning about the kingdom of God. And, and in God's kingdom, it's a whole different kingdom than the world that we live in. And there is a way of communicating in the kingdom with the king. And that is what? Some of you are like, is this a trick question? No, it's prayer. You're right. It's prayer. And you can speak to the king of the kingdom every day, everywhere, about everything all the time. There are no dead zones, no drop calls. God is always attentive to you because you're his child. And yet when we think about that, being a child of God, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been born again to a new and living way. We're in a new kingdom, his kingdom, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of light. And we've been translocated transferred out of the kingdoms and powers of darkness. That's a great thing. And yet we're still in a fallen world. We're in a world that's being influenced and affected by the kingdom of darkness. How many of you see that every day? We see it more and more all the time. And listen, you can pray until your lips fall off. And that's not going to change because God said it's going to get darker. But what he also said is, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And when we talk about the glory of God, we, we find out that the Bible tells us that glory is going to appear, but it's not going to be like some mystical cloud. The Bible tells us that it's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. 
the confident expectation of glory. That as the Lord Jesus Christ, who we have made Lord of our lives, we've repented of our sin, turned to trust in Christ and receive him as our Lord and Savior, as he has his way, his kingdom come, his will is done in our lives, the glory of God is being revealed in the earth. How many of you think the, the world needs to see the glory of God? I'm telling you, you are what God has prepared and is preparing and providing for the glory of God to be revealed in this earth. It is going to be arising in you and being shown through you. But that means there needs to be some, some change, some adjustments that are going on in our lives. And uh, we've been looking at this, this prayer that the Lord gave his disciples because it helps us understand how, how our lives need to adjust. Now, I want to ask you a question here this morning. How many of you have ever thought about or wondered what it would have been like to walk with Jesus when he was alive on the earth? You know, I, I used to say that all the time. God, I wish I, I was alive when Jesus was on the earth because I, you know, I'd like to watch what he did. I'd like to see how he did it. I'd like to ask him questions. I, I just want to be around him. And, and I felt like, Holy Spirit, let me know. But you can and I was like, no, 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 right there where I could see him. And, and yet, do you realize that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have it even better than the disciples had it back then? Because there were times they weren't around Jesus. Jesus would go off to pray and, and leave him behind. You know what? You, as a believer in Jesus, can never leave the Lord behind because he lives in you. But getting back to that thought, is there anything you'd ever want to ask Jesus about? You know, I've had all sorts of times in my life where, where I've said, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. I don't understand why this happened. I, I truly believe that was a ridiculous statement. Because when we get to heaven, none of that's going to matter. All these petty things that our fleshly inquiring minds want to know. And, and by the way, do you realize that if God were to really explain how all this worked, our brains would just melt down? We can't contain that kind of stuff. And we don't need to. And yet, when I think about that, I think about, gosh, you know, there, there are a lot of things I don't understand. And I'm sure that with everybody thinking, you know, I want to ask these questions of the Lord when I get to heaven, there'd be a long line and you'd get a chance for one question maybe, if that. But do you know the disciples asked Jesus a question? And, and what do you think they asked? If, if, if that were the case, you had that opportunity, would you want to ask, how did you do that miracle? How did this happen? How did that happen? But I want you to know we're going to see what the disciples in all their time with Jesus asked to know about, asked for him to teach them, asked for, for them to learn. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, now, this is Luke's gospel. We've been in Matthew's gospel looking at this, this prayer, but we're going to start here. And it says, now it came to pass when he was praying in a certain place. Anybody know where Jesus usually went to pray? It was the Mount of Olives. It was a place that he preferred to pray when he was in Jerusalem. In a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to do miracles. Wouldn't that be awesome? Lord, teach us to feed thousands of people. No. Teach us to pray. Now listen, that doesn't seem like a lot. But understand, one of his disciples, somebody who was Jewish, a Hebrew, these people grew up hearing prayers upon prayers upon prayers upon prayers. And yet what they wanted to know more than anything else was, how do we pray? 
We know all the prayers that the Pharisees pray. We know all the prayers that, that these other people pray. We know all the prayers, but Lord, you pray different. Your prayers are different. How many of you think Jesus ever prayed a prayer and it didn't get answered? So isn't that radically different than us? And I think the disciples had seen him pray because he prayed all the time. But we're told to pray without ceasing. We're told that we who are his house are supposed to be a house of prayer. And yet they, they wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. And, and that's what we've been looking at and learning about. Because in Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, and that's not going to be up there, so I'm not freaking you out, Cheryl. It's, it's just me going. Uh, but in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he starts to tell them, don't pray like the hypocrites. Right? Remember that? And yet, what, what do many of the people of the world call us as Christians? Because we talk a good talk, but we don't walk a good walk. And they see through it. Now, that's not everybody. But I think we're all guilty at times of that. Because we're not perfect people, but we are people that are in the process of being perfected. Which means there's a constant change going on in our lives, a transformation Changing from what we were to what God has for us to be and always had had for us to be. And so then he goes on to say, and don't pray vain prayers. Don't just repeat things, repeat things, repeat things. And yet this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is one that we hear repeated all the time. And yet how much real understanding do we have? You know, the, I think we've already realized and we've just looked at the first two words of this prayer. And you may say, man, why don't, when are we going to get through this? We're going to get through this when we get through this. That's the revelation you can take home today. But, but when we read the first, first things that the Lord says in this prayer, first he tells us, pray in this manner. All right, pray like this. This is a model. This is an outline. This is something you can follow. But he said just before this, don't repeat vainly prayer after prayer after prayer. And when something's vain, it's useless, it's worthless, it doesn't have an impact. And I can't and you can't and none of us can say anybody's prayed this prayer in vain, only God can tell because God is the one that knows the heart. But if we don't have a lot of understanding about this prayer, then it's not going to have the impact that it should. And so we've been, been looking at this, and go ahead, Cheryl, put that up. This is the Lord's Prayer, and we're not going to pray it again today because we've done it before. But he, it starts out with two words. What are those first two words? Our Father, which is life-changing. Absolutely life-changing when we recognize who we're going to. You know, so many times we think we're going to God and he's, he's this being that's waiting for us to step out of line. And he's going to smack us. You know, a lot of people think God is just a corrector, not a protector, not a provider, not a guider, not a rewarder. And, and God does correct us for our own good. But when we go to him, it's not like the correction we get from somebody who's our critic. We have all had people in our lives point out to us something that maybe we're doing wrong. Maybe we need to change or maybe they just don't like and when you and I are corrected by a critic, how helpful is that? I'm going to need help this morning. Some of you are a little raw from that. Maybe it happened already today. But, but you're not going to somebody that's a critic. You're going to the greatest ally humanity has ever had. the one that knows us all the best 
and loves us all the most. Let that sink in. Because we, we work really hard to not let people know everything about us because we are in such fear that if they know everything about us, they'll reject us, which has happened. But I want you to know God will never cast you out. God has loved you with an everlasting love. And you're going to not just your father, but our father. And this gives us an understanding of the community that we are a part of. We're not alone. I know, I know, I know. We all have times where we feel absolutely alone. We feel isolated. We feel uncared for. But I've got to tell you something. It's the problem that the world is having that they're walking by what they feel. And you and I are not supposed to walk by what we feel because I think we've all learned the feelings change pretty quickly. And so we, we need to focus on what truth is because truth keeps us free. And so we may feel alone, but we are never alone as a believer in Christ. We are part of a new family that is part of an eternal kingdom that is under almighty God. Do you know in the Old Testament that, that there were words that they knew were attributed to God? They were afraid to say for fear that they would mispronounce them. There was such a reverence, such a sacredness. And yet right here, Jesus starts out with just life-changing truth. The only person in the Bible, the first person in the Bible to address God as his father was Jesus. And that was rightfully so. But one of the things that Jesus did was he made it available to all of us. As we come to the Father through him, Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And when we're born again, we come into this kingdom of God. And God becomes not just almighty God, but he is our Father. And we've dealt with the fact that sometimes we've had fathers or or mentors or, you know, people that are in our lives that haven't been what God is and wants to be, loving and encouraging and, and, and even correcting at times. And so we have a father unlike any other father. But he's our father. All of us together, it connects us and it connects him. It shows the community. It shows the relationship that God has not just for a week, not just for a month, not just for the life in this time that we have. This is for eternity. That he is your heavenly father that knows you best and loves you most and has the best and perfect plan for your life. And so because of that, we need to come to that place of really trusting, really trusting him. And today we're going we're gonna to continue in this area and look at this. Because, again, we read this, this is common to us, but it was absolutely life-shaking, life-shattering to the people he's telling. This is your father. No, no, it's God. It's your father, but it's not our father. And they had to wrap their brains around this. And sometimes we have to do that too. We have to embrace something that it's hard to comprehend. It, it doesn't make so much sense, but it's still truth. And if you and I will embrace that truth that he is our father, then amazing things will open up in our lives, in our relationship, and in our interaction and in our intimacy with God. Because when we go to him, we're going to the one that wants the best for us. Did you hear me? When we go to him, we're going to the one who wants the best for us that gave everything dear to him for us. That ought to show us that he is not holding back. He's not holding back at all. He wants the best for you. But the only way the best can come to us 
The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. The Father of lights. Our Father. And we've got to go to Him. We've got to recognize that that's the source. That's the place we've got to go to every time. For the best. For the perfect. For the good. As much as so many other things promise us the best and, and fulfillment and satisfaction. Whatever the world offers us, it's going to promise us everything and deliver little. God promises everything and delivers everything. He is a good God, and he's a good God all the time. And so we, we've been learning this. Now we're going to go on. And I, I'm hoping today, if you'll listen fast enough, Say, I don't want to be responsible. I want to put the responsibility on you. It's the way the world does it. We're going to get through this first verse. All right? So the next part of this, our Father which is in heaven. In, in verse 9, as we look at just verse 9 alone, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is, this is just as important as the first two words, our Father. Because what can become difficult, what can become dangerous in our lives is if we get this casual, laissez-faire, hey, hey, big guy. He's our father. We should have absolute confidence in going to him, but we should never forget. Even though he is our father, he is also almighty God. The moment... We treat him as common. As just our best bud. Is he? Yeah, he's the best friend we'll ever have. But when we start to treat him casually, without the reverence, without the awe, without the honor that he deserves, we start to get into very dangerous territory very quickly. And that's why I believe that the Lord said, he is your father, but he's in heaven. Now, we know that God, God is in the heavens, but he's also everywhere because he's omnipresent. But when we think about the heavens, you know, man's been staring at the stars for, for hundreds, thousands of years. And only being able to see what they could see, but as technology and things have become more available, they're seeing more. And what they once thought was amazing is even more amazing. You know, one of our presidents told the people that were interviewing him how he deals with the stress of being the president of the United States. And, and he said when the, the pressure gets heavy and the burden is crushing and I feel like I'm alone I go outside at night and I look at, at the stars and I realize the one that placed the stars there and calls them by name is with me too I don't know what you're facing God knows what you're facing but you're not having to face it alone, but you can. I can face it alone. But we need to realize we're never alone. Our father is there, but he's not just our dad. He's not just the guy around the corner. He is in heaven. He set the heavens. He placed the stars. He calls them by name. You know, it's an amazing thing about our God that, that he created everything seen and unseen. And you know, as time goes on, we're finding out the things that we have never seen before, whether it's in the distance of the galaxy or in the, the smallness of an atom. God created all of that. He is amazing. He is awesome. He is in all and above all. And this gives us a balance. He is the closest. And I did a message years and years ago. God, 
the most high God and the most nigh, the nearest to you of anyone. But we have to have both perspectives. And it's comforting. It's helpful when we recognize that he is the most high God. One of the most beloved pictures of President John F. Kennedy was a picture of him in the Oval Office standing next to his desk on the phone. And you could only imagine who he's talking to. Could be any world leader. And there on the carpet is the seal of America. And you see him in this very high position with all this authority and power. And yet it was what was on the seal that caused him to be so endearing to people. Here he is, the head of the most powerful nation in the free world. And yet at his feet were his children playing on the carpet of the Oval Office. I want you to know that not everybody gets into the Oval Office, but those kids could walk in almost any time. And that's the power of our relationship, but we should never forget the power that our God has. You know, there are three words that get my attention quicker and my devotion fuller than any other three words that I could ever hear. Honey, dad, and grandpa. Now, some of you are right now trying to figure out How can I call him honey? (laughs) Don't do it. Because I know the difference. But when when we go to our father, we need to realize he is almighty God. He is in heaven. This gives us a balance to keep us from becoming just indiscriminate, just too comfortable about our relationship with God. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, it says in the Amplified Translation, Behold the heavens and the heaven of the heavens in its most extended compass cannot contain you. Man, nothing can contain God. He's bigger than anything and everything. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Remember, God God has a perspective. God has a knowledge. God has an ability that is beyond all of ours put together and available to you all the time and everywhere. And in Psalm 19, verse 1, in the New Living Translation, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. All creation reveals the glory of God, but the heavens proclaim the glory of God. How do they proclaim the glory of God? Well, like I said, people have been looking up at the stars for thousands of years and seeing things that they didn't understand and couldn't explain. And and now we're becoming so technologically advanced that we're seeing not just our galaxy, we're seeing galaxies beyond galaxies. And there was a, a galaxy that was found, and it's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. It's one of the most photographed galaxies ever. And when the Hubble telescope went up, They started to take pictures without the the diffusion of our atmosphere in space, taking pictures of this whirlpool galaxy. If you'd show that picture, isn't that amazing? (laughs) That whirlpool galaxy is 37 million light years away. A light year is the distance light can travel in the time of a year, which is, there's no way I can explain how far away this is, and yet we see it. And this is what God's done. But how does this proclaim the glory of God? Because when the Hubble telescope finally 
started to zero in on this and begin to take picture after picture after picture after picture. And not just the whole galaxy, which is light years across, but got to the very center of this and took a picture. I want to show you what they found. Go ahead. What does that look like? Yeah, somebody said it, Jesus on the cross. There are so many pictures of Jesus on the cross from this direction. It looks like Jesus hanging on the cross. God is displaying and proclaiming and declaring who he is. God proclaims and declares the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. And he's the one that can guide us through everything into the fullness of abundant life that he has. He's in heaven, but he's also in your heart. Don't forget the one that is so close is also so awesome. Our Father in heaven, and then it goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed is a word that came up when we were, we, I was teaching about the fear of the Lord and about the preeminent adoration and awe of God. In the definition of awe, one of the first words that, that I, I gave you was veneration. And in that word veneration, I used the word hallowed. Now, to hallow something, that word means about being, it speaks about being holy, about being sacred, about being honored, about being highly esteemed, about being venerated. And so it's about us keeping God exalted and elevated the way he needs to be because that's really who he is. The moment we put God down on our level, and there is a tendency for us as human beings to cause him to be more human-like. But who was made in whose image? Was God made in our image? We were made in God's image. And yet sometimes we put human characteristics on God, and that's not the way it works. God wants us to embody his character. That's why we're supposed to be imitators of God. And so when he, we know he is our father, we can become very comfortable, but we cannot afford to become casual with God because he's in heaven. And his name is to be hallowed. Hallowed, revered. His name's supposed to be holy and sacred. How do we make his name holy and sacred? Well, there are a variety of ways we can do it. But we're told in the scriptures, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God saved us and called us. Who's the us? Right, us. To a alive and holy life. God's called us to a holy life. Now, when, when you talk to people throughout your week, do you hear much about holiness? No. But we are immersed. We are saturated. We are assaulted by unholiness in our world. Our grandparents... And our great-grandparents, even more, if they would, would, were alive today and could see how our world is living, what we are feasting on as far as entertainment, what we're pursuing and what we're saying is okay, they, they wouldn't be able to believe it. And it is continuing 
to wind deeper and deeper and deeper into ungodliness. And you and I are living in the cesspool. I worked at the sewage department. Yes, it was a very honorable job. I worked at the sewage department in Atlanta, Georgia. And we used to do all sorts of work around the settling ponds where the sewage would come out of the sewers and settle the solids out and then go to the waste treatment plant. And, and the water would be purified and put back into the streams. Now, we had to cut the grass around the sewage ponds because it grew really fast. Go figure. And there was one day the crew was really bored. And our foreman said, I'll give 50 bucks to anybody that will swim across this pond. Right, exactly. We all have, ew, no way. There was a taker. Now, when he, before he got in that pond, it seemed like just the rest of us. But when he got out of the pond, he was not like any of us. All that filth had now started to adhere itself to him. Now, I tell you that not to gross you out, just to gross you out. And I hope, I truly hope you are grossed out by it, repulsed by it. Because that's very much like what happens every day when we're in this world. We are swimming through this sewage pond of society. And we have become so accustomed to it. That the things we hear and the things we see. I, I, I'm absolutely amazed when I listen to people. Now, I've just started going back to the gym. I know I need to do that because I know I need to take care of the body that God gave me because I have this real concern that one day I'm going to stand before him in line to get my glorified body and he's going to say, you know what, you didn't take care of the one I gave you that was the inferior model. I'm not sure I'm going to trust you with the superior model. So I'm trying to make up time. And, and yet I am in the gym and most people have no idea who I am, which is great with me. Because I'm going in there to work out, get my work done, my business done, and get out. And I'm hearing almost every time F-bombs all over the place. And not just people talking that way. They're playing music that is full of this stuff, and it's just normal. And if you think it's normal, I'm telling you right now, you're in a dangerous place. How many of you think there are going to be any F-bombs in heaven? We're supposed to be preparing for heaven. So if they're falling off your lips, you need to change what you're speaking. But the way you change what you speak is you change what you think in your heart. It is so important that we realize that we're in this world. But we're not of this world. This is not our home. This is not our kingdom. Our kingdom is heaven's kingdom, is God's kingdom. It's a holy kingdom. And as much as the world doesn't want to hear about holiness, and you know many Christians don't want to hear about holiness. Do you know why? Because they equate holiness with unhappiness. If I'm going to be holy, I'm not going to be happy. Well, let me blow your mind. Heaven is going to be the happiest, not, not Disney World or Disneyland. Heaven is going to be the happiest place in the universe. And everybody's going to be holy there. And God has said to us, be holy as I, the holy God, am holy. 
Because when you are holy, it really enables you to experience true happiness. Holiness is godliness. Being like God. Not that we're going to become God, but we become more and more like Jesus. Does that mean that we never have any problems? No, it doesn't. Now, I want you to know when you get to heaven, there's going to be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. But God wants heaven to be revealed on earth where there is pain, where there is sorrow, so that they can see that there is a provision for that. That when people get brokenhearted, God says, I'm the healer of the brokenhearted. I remove burdens and I destroy yokes. I set captives free. And I fill people, my people, with joy and peace. Security, stability, love and life. But it's as we adjust to him, not adjust to our society. Our society is put in a pressure. This fallen, sin-filled world is putting a pressure on us who are in this world but not of this world to conform to their ways. But the Bible says not to be conformed to the ways of the world but to be transformed. So in essence, you are all transformers. You get transformed, I get transformed, we get transformed, and we begin to transform the world we live in. Because wherever you go, to whatever degree it is in our lives, wherever we go, the kingdom of God is at hand. And if we're living in this world like this world, then the kingdom of God has very little to do with our lives. And so we don't do a lot of transforming. But Jesus said we're supposed to be the salt and the light. And that means we have to shake off the stuff of this world. And we need to hollow his name. We need his name to be sacred. We need his name to be revered and honored and elevated. It's not just a word that we say when we smash our finger. Jesus Christ. And yet how often do we hear that? How often is that done? And how does it affect us? Have we become so acclimated to the world that we live in that this doesn't have an impact on us because that's the way it happens with most of us in most things. Just look at mass shootings. We were appalled when they first started to happen. And now it's just, you know what, we've got 200 and something mass shootings already in our nation this year. Oh, well, let's get on with life. No, it shouldn't be. We should be praying. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, or 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see how you're living, people are looking at, right? that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds. Your moral excellence, my moral excellence, our praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, of which our society is very limited in. That's why we're supposed to be peculiar. Because we're not going the way of the world. And honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
when they see this, it tends people to make decisions. Some of them, they just want to get away from you. You know why? Because the light exposes their darkness. It's not that you're condemning them. We're not here to condemn anyone. Far be it of us to point a finger at anybody and say, you're a sinner. You know what? Even our dogs know when they do wrong. Our dog tore up one of my mom's amplified Bibles while we were at church. We got home. We were living with my mom and dad, and, and our dog did this, and I was mortified. And I was like, oh, my gosh, i got to put this back together. Have you ever tried to piece together pieces of an amplified Bible? It was a losing venture. But when we walked in the door and the dog was there, I looked at the dog and the dog did this. I kid you not, he knew he had done wrong. We know when we do wrong. We don't have to point out the wrong in somebody else's life. We just need to be the light. We need to be the solution. We need to be the hope in their lives that they don't have to live that way forever. There's an alternative. There's an option that they can turn to Christ and he can cleanse them from all their sin and put them in right standing with their heavenly father. But as we do this, they'll recognize and honor and praise and glorify your father who is in heaven. Our lives are supposed to be lived as a testimony of the goodness of God, of the love of our heavenly father for all people, of the hope that there is in him. And yet, if we are conformed to this world, they're not going to look at, need, or want anything that we have. And so, because we know we're supposed to be ambassadors, we're supposed to be witnesses, we turn into telemarketers for Jesus. We try and convince and pressure somebody they need to get saved. I'm going to tell you, when people realize their lives are a wreck, they know they need something else other than what they've been going after. And all we're doing is saying, hey, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There's no one that comes to the Father except through him. And he has a new and living way for you to walk in. Turn to him, trust in him, and follow him. It's, it's not rocket science. Now, <clears throat> the message, part of the message translation says this, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. See, our lives are supposed to draw people to God. And that's why we're supposed to hollow his name. We're supposed to show his name is sacred. He is sacred. He is holy. He, he is honored by us. But without looking at anybody, because I don't want you to feel like I'm looking at you, is that what our lives are doing? Are they honoring God? Then in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Now, some people you can't live in peace with because they won't. But you do what's, what's necessary to keep your heart at peace with everyone. And be holy. Because without holiness, what? What's it say? No one will see the Lord. Isn't that why we're here? So that they're going to see the Lord? Because that's exactly why Jesus was here. Jesus was here to, to pay a price for our sin, but also to reveal the invisible God. And when they didn't realize it, the disciples said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, what? You're kidding me. Have I been so long with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, the Bible tells us it's the goodness of God, the generosity, the love, the kindness, the goodness of God that turns people in repentance. When you see good, when you find good, 
Do you run away from good? I know this is an obvious question. Or do you run towards good? Case closed. Towards good. We just need to live our lives honoring God, hallowing God's name. Just like Jesus said, don't pray these prayers. Don't, don't pray vain prayers. There's another, there's a command in the Ten Commandments. It's the third commandment. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, how many of you heard that before? How many of you believed that that was just swearing? See, nobody wants to raise their hand. I did. I used to think, man, I have really got to take care of my mouth. I worked. I worked in the oil fields. They do not have the daintiest language. It, it's one of those things that I was immersed in. That's where I was. That's where I was working every day. And, and I would hear this, and you just pick up things that you hear. How many of you know if you live down south, you pick up an accent? Y'all. I was born in Georgia. But I've been up here enough that I don't always say y'all. do sometimes. But you, you tend to pick up what you're around. And I used to think, man, I've really got, I've got to get a hold of my tongue. My mouth is filthy. And then we had kids. And I thought, you know, I don't want them talking like I talk. But how many of you know your kids pick up what you do? I was watching our oldest son when he was learning how to drive. That was an experience. That, when, that was when he became my son. <laughs> and he's driving, he's got one hand, he's got his thumb stuck in there, and he's turning like this. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? So I'm driving. I said, no, you know, 10 and 12. Back then it was 10 and 12. You went your hands, 10 and 12. But dad, I don't want to hear but dad. That's what the book says. That's what you need to do. You want to be a good driver. But dad, do it. I was so patient and kind. <laughs> and we had our lesson and, and I was driving somewhere and he was with me and he's like, hey, two and 12. What? You know who you're talking to? And I noticed that I'm turning like this. He said, Dad, that's what I was trying to tell you. I picked it up from you. We pick up a lot of stuff that, that surrounds us. And we need to be more aware and more careful. And so I was thinking, you know, I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. So I've got to clean up my words because I don't want my kids talking like me. And by the grace of God, I was able to do that. But it's not just about words. Taking the Lord's name in vain is about taking his name in vain. Saying things that are useless and pointless with his name. That's why, you know, you don't hear people swearing, oh, Buddha. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Allah. No, people smash their hands and they're calling out to Jesus. Because there's power in that name. And it's part of the way the enemy tries to degrade that name. And we should not be a part of that. But it's not just saying curse words using the name of God. For God's name to be used in vain, there's another aspect for it. And this is, this is challenging for me to share, but it's going to be challenging for you to hear. And please know that we all need truth because truth sets us free and keeps us free. But when, when 
we use the Lord's name in vain. The message translation says this, God won't put up with irreverent use of his name or dishonoring of his name. When something is said to be in vain, it's to bring, it's to be of no use or to bring disrepute, dishonor, disgrace, discredit, blemish, or stain. And one of the ways we dishonor, we use the Lord's name in vain is when we proclaim, when we present ourselves as our father's kids and we act like the enemy. Our lives don't portray the holiness of our heavenly father. It proclaims the darkness of the enemy. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, it says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. When our lives emulate the lives of people that don't know Christ, or our lives are lived in contrast, in opposition to the character of God, and we say we're Christians. Now, please, please, please understand. We are all guilty of this. To greater or lesser degrees. But it is important that we recognize that that's an area of our lives we need to begin to make adjustments in whether it's our impatience with people, whether it's criticalness with others, whether it's being demanding and self-centered and self-serving, these things, if I say I'm a Christ follower and I am looking like I'm following the enemy, I'm going the same way as the world, then these are moments in time that I am taking the Lord's name in vain. I'm bringing disgrace to him and dishonor to him. And that's where we can pray this prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and I go out and live in a way that dishonors God I need to change I need to take a hard look at my life we need to take hard looks at our life and see where, where in our lives are we dishonoring God? Where in our lives are we disgracing God? And know that this isn't a self-help program. It's not about you making yourself better because you can't. It won't last. It's about us allowing God to be at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure by his spirit and by his word. About our fellowship with our Father. Letting him know our struggles. And letting him be a part of what we're struggling with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 and verse 18, in the New Living Translation, it says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Think about that. We're the temple of the living God. So God made a very, me very aware that every time I sin, God who is living in me is having to endure that. 
And that's the enemy's only way to hurt God is by hurting his kids. The deepest, most difficult pain in my life has come when the ones I love have been hurt. I can deal with pain to me, but when pain comes to the ones I love, it hurts deeper and stronger and longer than anything. And I don't want to be a party to hurting my heavenly father. God said, I will live in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Our Father, who is in heaven, we're to be hollowing, revering, respecting, honoring, keeping holy and sacred his name because we're living a life that honors him that exalts him and glorifies him, that reveals him in us to all those around us, like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I know there are all sorts of options that we have. And many times we gravitate just like young children. I just want dessert. I just want ice cream. I just want this. And sometimes we come to church and we hear messages and it's kind of like my response to Brussels sprouts. I don't like it. But it's good for us. It's nutritious. It brings health and strength. And sometimes there are messages that we need to hear. Not to hurt us, to help us to help us grow in his likeness, to become who God has always created us and desired us to be so that we can be who he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do in a world that needs to see God today, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of all hope, the God of peace and the God of joy that's living big in his kids. There's such a resemblance of him in us. And we're like the ark. We carry the presence of God wherever we go. But it's not supposed to be hidden. It's supposed to be revealed to all. But the only way that happens is we come to him realizing our need for him. When we're in this world without God, the Bible says, without hope. And if you're here today or online and you've never come to that place of turning to Christ, recognizing the sacrifice he made for your sins, for our sins. And then repenting, turning around from running your own life and in turn trusting it to Christ to be the Lord of your life. No longer you lording it over yourself. It's you allowing the Lord to guide you, to govern you, and to guard you and to bring you into this new and living way to walk in. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you have never trusted and given your life to Christ, you've never repented of, of controlling and running your own life and, and turning to him and say, I need you. I need you who are wiser and stronger, more knowledgeable and more capable 
cause my life to be what you created my life for. If you have never turned to Christ and trusted in him, I want to pray with you today. But before I do, we have a part on ourselves to own it. Yes, I know, I know. And now I need to repent, turn around and turn back to you. And I do that. And if you're here today and you, you realize it's time to turn, turn to Christ instead of running from Christ. Repent of ruling yourself and letting him begin to bring that abundant life rule into your life. If that's you and you, you say, today, I, I, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I just want you to lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into the world, lived a sinless life, died for my sin on the cross, was dead, buried, and then was raised from the dead, glorious and victorious, and is at the right hand of Father God. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Guide me. Govern me. Guard me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, let somebody know. If you're here, let somebody know before you leave. If you're online, go to our website, reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Uh, let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us contact information. I just want to pray for, for us right now before. I'll pray before I dismiss you, but I just need to pray right now for you. So if you just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I pray for every one of your children here, every one of us. That, Father, you would open the eyes of our understanding. That we would know the hope of your calling. We would also know the riches of your glorious inheritance in us, the saints. That we would know the power that you make available to us through the relationship and fellowship. But, Father, help us to never, never cause our relationship, our fellowship with you to become common and casual. Help it to be glorious so that we can walk in the victory you have for us, showing the world what Christ in us can do, that you, Lord, would be lifted up and that all people would be drawn unto you. Thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen.